Welcome to CMO Conversations. I am Trisha Gelman, and I'm excited in the episode today to talk to a unique flavor of CMO, and that is Randy Frisch, the CMO of Uberflip. And what is so unique about him is that he's not just the CMO, but he is a co-founder. And you don't really find that many co-founders of tech SaaS companies that are also the CMO. So, Randy, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of talk a little bit about, you know, your role at Uberflip? Sounds great, Trisha. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to steal that unique flavor line because I usually just warn people when I'm interviewing a marketer, I'm like, I'm not your traditional CMO. And and by that, I often mean that I need a really strong marketing team around me because as a co-founder, I'm being pulled in various different directions that sometimes are not just marketing. Now, I, I also know that that's, that's the reality of a CMO, right? Like, let's be honest, and, and you probably know that too, Trisha. Like, when you get to that C-level, when you get to that CMO level or any C-level type of title in an organization, you have to start to care not just about the marketing function. You need your eyes going all over the place. And, and I think that's it's one of the things I've talked to other CMOs, other you know chief revenue officers, other you know just C level or VP level individuals, and I think that's that next step you take. It's it's realizing it's not just about you know it's one of the things I say often. It's not just the team being described as my marketing team. It's realizing you have other teams you're a part of, right? You're yep. part of an executive team and you have responsibilities to bond with them and gel with them in just the same type of way. So that that's the way I try and look at being a CMO and a co-founder. It's, it's realizing you've got various teams that you're accountable to. Yeah, but as a co-founder with a solution that's being sold to marketers and CMOs, there's a lot of work I would imagine that you have to do, not just as sort of like first team leadership, second team, maybe marketing, but there's a whole slew of things you probably have to do in terms of defining where the product is going, I would think. Absolutely. And and I, I mean, I don't know if this is in all companies, but without a doubt at Uberflip, there's influence as to what we do based on my passion and you know my co-founder as well but in many ways when we were getting started together and looking at a problem to solve we actually took influence by both of our passions mine being marketing and a lot of what we do at uberflip is designed to solve for the problem of a marketer like myself who has great ideas, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but has these ideas. You want to be here if you didn't have great ideas, so, you know. <laughs> has these ideas that, that I want to make come to life. And, you know, sometimes I just don't have the technology at my fingertips to do it. And I remember I often talk to my team and, and others on our product team about this idea that when I was in university even, like I was the guy that everyone wanted in their group because I could do amazing things with PowerPoint. Like I was that PowerPoint guru that I wasn't going to write the paper, but you wanted me in there because I would make it, you know, animate in amazing ways. And that's because PowerPoint was made for people who couldn't code, right? And, you know, even though there's better solutions than PowerPoint today, it's that same motivation that gets me going with any piece of technology. It's how does it let me do something without having to involve other stakeholders that are just going to slow my team down at the end of the day? And that's, you know, that's why I love Drift. That's why I love a lot of the other parts of our technology stack. 
Well, so how does that play out into like how you help to define, like, are you meeting regularly with the product team to kind of lay out features you need in the roadmap or was that how it started in the beginning? And now it's kind of more like you're just in touch with the customers and it's more about like the CS post-purchase process and being close to the customer. Yeah. I mean, that, that evolves over time. I remember when we were, I mean, to give perspective, our teams around 150 people right now. And we're hiring a lot. So maybe by the time this airs, we're 180, but uh, we're around 150 now. But, you know, I remember when we were under 10 people and it was me and my co-founder for perspective. My co-founder is a very product minded individual. He can build stuff, you know, in, in amazing ways that really make it simple for marketers like me. And we would sit around one big table, our team of under 10. Yeah. And I'd look up and be like, it would be really cool if it could do this. And four hours later, it could do that. I mean, it, that was the fun stage where, you know, you're really iterating in the moment and coming up with these great concepts. You know, as, as you grow, first of all, that's not the only way to get input into your product. It's not just the founders. You now get to the point where you've got, you know, customers and some of your customers are much more sophisticated even in their go-to-market. I mean, you know, think of Drift, think of Uberflip. We're both growing, our, you know, companies that are probably heading to an enterprise size. But if we're serving enterprises, we've got to get their voice into the conversation. Right. So using things like customer advisory boards, using things like product technology as well that gives us voice of the customer, you know, that's a big part of it. But one of the things I always say is we, you know, we've got to listen and understand our customers. Uh, that's a big part of our core value. But, you know, at the same time, we always have to remember it's not just what they're asking for. It's sometimes looking at the things that they're saying and realizing that they're doing things in a broken way and still being disruptive. So those are the areas that I still like to get involved is mm-hmm. push the limit and and kind of look and say, okay, well, they're, they're doing it in this way, but that's kind of broken. How do we make it more efficient? And that's the part that I like to get still involved in is to kind of challenge the norms. Yeah, I think, and I've seen that with other founders in the past, they've been more like engineering founders, but I think that as a founder, you kind of understand the vision, you understand the underpinning of like what's in the technology stack you've built. And then it isn't really just about doing what the customer says they want. It's about understanding the pain and the sort of root of what's happening. So you can then like evolve your solution to kind of lead people. Yeah, it's it's like, what are they really trying to do? Exactly. Not- how are they doing it? But what is the ultimate goal? I remember one time I was uh, out visiting some customers on the West Coast, and this was a late stage actually prospect. So I was pulled in to try and help it move along. But I went into this room and didn't say anything. I watched the CMO and two of their senior individuals in a room talking about a workflow. And you just saw the CMO's mind blowing at how broken this workflow was that these two individuals were honestly they were great and they were just trying to explain how complex what they needed to accomplish was and it was all this idea of trying to gate a piece of content build a landing page finish the content asset it was like a you know cart before the horse situation do we build the landing page first do we finish the content first and you saw the cmo just realizing how broken this was and I was sitting there watching the CMO be like, can you fix this? <laughs> you know, because they're, they're, they had two really bright people. And those are the opportunities, I think, that tech disruption comes in, is looking at something where you've got people hacking away at, at, at you know, using technology not built for the purpose and saying, how do we do this better? 
Yeah, I love that. I think like, I think that's the secret sauce of like a good founder. So it's interesting that as a CMO, you kind of like we'll talk later about your storytelling. It's like you hear this, you see it, you can work with your team to say like, hey guys, like what they're saying is one thing, but what they need to solve is the other. And then, then you can follow it up with the storytelling component to kind of lead everyone in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's the part that's fun to watch companies evolve, right? Like I'll be honest, I remember when I first heard about Drift, I was like, I don't know, I'm, we kind of have like chat communication tools already. Like what's what's so unique? But, you know, as you saw your own narrative or your company's narrative evolve, it was like, yes, you can do that. But what if you can do it in a smarter way? What if right. you can do it without setting the number of rules that you may have set in the background? Like that's what over time starts to develop. And you got to pull people in both to what you can solve for their current pain, but also where you're going and get them to come along to where you're going. That's the fun part. Yeah. Well, on that level, when we last talked, you talked about how like every presentation that you guys do, it starts with this like one fundamental slide. And I think it, to me, it struck me that this is a way that you're not trying to like move the market, but you're trying to move your own employees and make sure that employees are aligned to like really deliver on your sort of mission and your vision. So can you tell me about like this inspiration for this single slide and like how you embedded it in your culture? Yeah, absolutely. So so first, the inspiration I, it came from an advisor. One of my advisors, very early on, we always surrounded ourselves with, with people who are smarter than us, and this person definitely was. I'm actually chatting with them tomorrow uh, just to get another tidbit. I don't know what it's going to be, but it'll be something good. And uh, you know, we were describing this idea of trying to challenge the norm, and you know, he reminded us of a book that I you know come across earlier in my career uh, called The Innovator's Dilemma. And the innovator's dilemma, if you haven't read it, it's, it's a very simple concept that we see all the time of an incumbent solution selling to, you know, a buyer that may not be the buyer of the future. So one of the examples in, in one of the versions of the book is, you know, BlackBerry, who is selling their devices to the IT you know, buyer inside yeah. of an organization. But as we all know, we were like, I don't want the business to give me my phone. I want to choose my phone. I'm an Android user. I'm an iPhone user. Right. But there was a point where that disruption was not for sure. It was this idea that, you know, there was a shift in the company buying your device to you buying the device. So the, you know, the, you know, the incumbent in that case, the BlackBerry was being overtaken by iPhone and Android because they had to solve for this new buyer, new demand. You know, in our case over at Uberflip, we kind of used that and it's it's often depicted as a, a a kind of, you know, slow growth rate, if you will, for the incumbent, for us and what we solve for. In many cases, that's a CMS. And it's not that there's anything wrong with the CMS, just like BlackBerry was a pretty good capable device. But, you know, just as BlackBerry didn't have the apps and the cool things that we wanted, you know, the CMS doesn't have some of the things that a marketer wants, right? It's built for a web developer. So yeah. we show this intersecting point where within that you end up seeing the idea that what's important to the marketer end of day is going to evolve and it will become more front and center. And that's something to your point that we rally our team around. And the idea is that it's not about getting to that inflection point or getting beyond it overnight. It's going to be you know, it's going to be a process and there's going to be ups and downs along that way. And we have to build functionality. And we have to get people on board. And we, we actually depict that as a rocket ship. So 
I love it. It's like a rocket ship going to like a planet, basically. Exactly. We we say the moon, right? Getting to the moon, this this really far off concept is something that's exciting and that we can strive for. And I actually was chatting with one of our, our team members just a couple of weeks ago. And she said, you know, when she joined the company just over two years ago, she, you know, she understood in a way what that meant, but what's exciting to her is that in the two years she can better understand what the moon is because we're, we're better painting what the moon looks like. Uh-huh. We're, we're better you know, explaining the things that we've done to move from one point across that line to the next point and what we need to do to get to that true inflection point where someone's coming to us versus their CMS right out of the gate versus us having to teach about that disruption. And you take that back to thinking about iPhone and BlackBerry. There was a point where like, you know, you, you were kind of like a rebel to go get the iPhone, right? Yeah. Well, and you weren't even allowed. If you got the iPhone, you weren't allowed to use it for work because the IT people said, no, we're not going to put it on the network. You can't get your email exactly. or do anything. Well, I remember there was a point where, and, and this was actually not that long ago. I mean, Uberflip had been founded. We had employees and I'd watch this happen at the end of the day, right? They would take their work phone, right? At like five, whatever. They'd shut it off put it in their bag and they'd take out this other phone. And I'd be like, I'm fucking paying for that other phone. <laughs> like, what is going on there? But but you saw that. And, and I guarantee that there's situations with technology in the same way where the company is probably paying a lot of money for some sort of antiquated solution. And someone's turning it off, putting it in their pocket, and they're pulling out this more nimble solution that they've either bought themselves on online or they've you know found some side budget. That's this idea of disruption, and yeah. that you know that's what's exciting. I think that's what you know marketers want to do. They want to be in control. They want to be able to be quick, be nimble, and that's what we're trying to play into. But also you know get to the point where it can be more strategic longer term. Yeah, I think that that's really cool. And I love the Clay Christensen innovators dilemma. I think, you know, it's a timeless model, right? It doesn't matter if it's like back in the day of BlackBerry and iPhone or today in terms of like what you're doing. I think as a CMO, you also have to think like, who are the disruptors for me? Like, even if you're disrupting something else like the CMS, like who's going to disrupt you? And like, what does that mean? And what is that sort of around the corner thing that you have to look after? You know, one of these things of using this sort of like rocket ship to the moon slide to motivate your teams, it kind of plays into this storytelling. And you talked about how one of your superpowers is really storytelling, which goes back to like probably why people wanted you to be the person who did the PowerPoints when you were at university. <laughs> but, you know, talk to me a little bit of, um, you know, you're creating a new category. And in order to create that category, you have to tell a story. So, you know, how does that fit together? And like, you know, what is the sort of love, hate and like thing that you're doing and creating this category? Yeah, I mean, love, hate's a good way to put it. I, you know, there's, there's days I wake up and I see someone come out with some sort of PR announcement that they ranked in, in a Forrester wave as a leader or a Gartner Magic Quadrant. And I, and I sit there and I'm like, oh, I just, that looks so easy. I know it's hard because you go through any of those processes, submitting for a wave, et cetera. That's, that's hard work. But I'm like, just to have something to latch on to right. and, and be the de facto leader, that's exciting. You know, but on the flip side of that, it's, it's also fun to create that. It's, it's a lot of work and there's days where, where you get a win from it and it all feels worth it. And there's other weeks where you're, 
you're butting your head around trying to figure out how someone's changing even the acronym that you you came up with. I you know we we coined the term content experience at Uberflip, and I remember early stages. You know we we had this big debate as to is content experience going to be shortened to a CXP or a CEP, and we're like, well, we can't do CXP because there's customer experience platforms. And uh, just a few weeks ago, some great research by a group called Aragon came out and they, they pointed to us as leading in, in content experience platform, but they're now saying it should be called CXP. And I'm like, really? Like everyone's confused enough as is. You're just going to, you're just giving me nightmares now. So it's these little things that you get really passionate about, but you got to look at the bigger picture, which is really you're just trying to help provide people guidance on what they're trying to solve for. And and to me, you know, the, there's a lot of things that we do to build a category. You know, I'll give you a few that we've done at Uberflip. One was working, you know, you want to work with the analyst, but that's going to take time. So working with even more forward-thinking organizations, you know, that get customers involved. So one is, you know, the G2s and the trust radius of the world. I mean, we worked with G2 early to create the first content experience grid. And that was really exciting because we helped them come up with some of the criteria. You know, we got some of our competitors even to like buy into it, which was yeah, cool. you know, tricky yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's no do. category if it's just you. Exactly. And so we did some of that. And, and a lot of it to us when we were thinking about category was it's not enough for us to, to say this is a category. As you just said, others do have yeah. to say that. So competitors. Once you're on G2, you've got your customer's voice echoing that every time they put a review and they start to use the, that terminology. You know, another bucket that, that's big that we've done was, uh, was having a big customer event. And, and we ultimately learned... In, and I called it a customer event originally on purpose because we called it the Uberflip experience. And after a year, we had a good turnout, but we're like, no, we need people who haven't bought into Uberflip at this thing. And we changed the event. We invited some of our competitors again to come speak at this type of event. And we called it the content experience event. And, you know, so little things like that, even getting to the point where I wrote a book, you know, that became a bestseller on Amazon and really stripping Uberflip out of it to make it more of, you know, a concept that people could relate to regardless of where they were in their tech purchase. Yeah, I think that that's great. And I think it like plays back. I mean, what you're talking about is different ways to tell the story, right? So you're telling the story of what's needed, why, what's happening with this transition to content experience in an event. You're telling it in, you know, the um, other activities that you're talking about in the book. And, you know, that I think is a key thing to think about when you're building a category, because I think like that's a big debate. We've had multiple guests on CMO conversations talking about category creation, but everybody kind of has this debate, like, do you need to create a category or can you just be successful in like putting a unique solution out in the market without creating a category? It's a good question. I, I think what really helps is sometimes just framing it for your buyer, right? Like what we have to keep in mind is that, you know, un unless you're truly selling to the C level on every deal, which I'll be honest, we don't, we often get a champion on at the right point, but you, you know, who is at that executive level, but you, you need that person to be able to go to their CMO to bring them in and say, or whatever seat level it is that you're selling into and say that, you know, this is why we need this. And it's not just that it solves this problem. It's that 
you know, here's research on it. Here's, you know, the category leader in it. You know, I've done research and these are the other players that are going into it. Like we know that anytime we're selling, there's going to be other solutions, you know, that, that are being looked at. Yeah. And I want good competitors in there. I, I took a call with, with a, a prospect just last week on behalf of our sales team. And they were looking at like some really small rinky dinky knockoff of, of what we do. And, and, uh, you know, this is an enterprise. This is a company that's really scaled. I think this company was going to sell for like maybe 10% of what our ACV was. And, and I looked at this product and I was like, listen, it's, it's a nice copy, but for that price, even they're not going to be able to support this enterprise. So I went on the call and I, my point was to get her not to buy this other solution, but I told her, if you're not going to buy from us, buy from some of our competitors. And I told her who some of our legitimate competitors were, because my point there was, you know, we also want people to have reference to companies that are doing this well, that are actually helping to solve for the problems. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love the um, that sort of leader play of just like being strong in your solution and like putting out there the competition and others because you feel confident that if people understand the true problem they're solving and why they would need your solution, then it's going to come back to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I think that that's really motivating that you're involved in the product development. You're listening to the customers in the prospect cycle. You're listening to customers like as they're the customers. You're motivating your team with this like, you know, to the moon and back kind of mentality that you talk about all the time. Let's talk a little bit more about how you're motivating your team. You talked about this analogy of like the rocket ship to the moon, but then you also talked about how you're taking that into like an awards framework even within marketing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's relatively new and, and something I think people have really bought into, though. It's, so it's exciting. So first, back to storytelling. I, I believe it's all about consistency, right? You know, you, you find something that works. You don't have to reinvent it all over the place. In fact, when you do, it becomes confusing, you know, both to your internal stakeholders and even more so to your, your buyers or your external mm-hmm. stakeholders because, Remember, they're only getting a glimpse of you so often. So they need consistency. They need to hear that thing seven times you know, to, to really have it stick. So one of the things that we do is take some of these ideas internally, like the vision to the moon you know, and this innovator's dilemma, and we try and trickle it into everything that we do. So it's a rocket ship heading to the moon. We talk a lot you know, and we build into our goal-setting structures. We use a, a structure called V2MUM. You know, to do our goal setting, it's very much baked into the methods that is part of V2Mom. The newest thing that you hit on that we're doing with the marketing team is actually having awards that also tie to this. And this is fun. I mean, we, we've we had awards that we give out quarterly company-wide that tied to our core values for some time. But when we did it in the marketing team, we wanted to remind them what we're, what we're after. We're after getting to the moon. We're after that, you know, that big inflection point. And so what we did was we came up with different awards. We've got five awards. Uh, I'm not going to nail all the names, but uh, right now off the top of my tongue. But, you know, they're all revolving around the impact that, that our marketing team is having as a team, but also on the rest of the company. So we've got, you know, one of them is the Comet Award, which is all about ROI. So the Comet ties back to that, you know, analogy of getting to the moon. But another one that we have is not just being nominated by marketers to nominate other marketers, but we actually loop in both the CS team and the sales team in different awards. So my favorite name by far is the Big Dipper Award. 
just because like who doesn't love the Big Dipper when you find it? Yeah. And the Big Dipper Award is that idea of scooping in and helping on the customer side. And I think more than ever, you know, marketers in the last maybe 12 months since the pandemic took off have realized the importance of helping not just the acquisition side, but the retention side of the equation. And, you know, it's something that we're excited about to make sure that our team is recognized and, and also that we give an opportunity for our CS org to really say, this is someone who's helping me. And it's gone a long way to helping the customer at the end of the day. I love that. So talk to me a little bit more because I'm a really big believer that marketing needs to be the hub of the company, right? Like marketing is helping to define the brand and try to put the brand out there, but you can't have a great brand if every CS experience, every sales experience, every experience with the product is crappy because all those things contribute to the brand too. So marketing has to be involved in that as well as, like you said, in the pandemic, I think every marketer started to realize like success isn't about new business revenue. If every person that comes in is falling out the bottom of the funnel, like, you know, it's not success for the yeah. company. So really like this hub concept is important to me because you need to help with like the people team so that your team understands how to represent the brand. You need to help with CS because you need that post-purchase experience to be awesome. And you need to help with new business because you need to make sure that, you know, you're helping to like drive this engine and this flywheel. Like, how do you guys look at those relationships? Because you have awards for it, but like, what's the expectation for the team? Absolutely. I, you know, first off, this is important to me, both in terms of how we execute internally, but it also ironically is, is so core to our beliefs and what Uberflip was built to accomplish. You know, I, like you, I believe that marketing has got to, you know, whether you call it the hub or really set the tone in some sort of way. I believe that storytelling messaging starts at marketing. You know, it's, it's on marketing to, to build a story that everyone can buy into. And the problem is when we don't or we don't do a good job at trickling that down, you end up with what I just call broken telephone syndrome. Right. And it's you know, we see it all the time where marketing has some sort of story. But by the time a BDR gets it, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to tweak it a bit. And then, you know, then you have a second BDR on your team who takes BDR one's version and says, well, I'm going to put my spin And like seven BDRs and three AEs later, the marketer hears the pitch and they're like, we're selling what? Right? Yes. Like, you know, you just like your head spins and, and you just like get so frustrated in that moment. But that's because we're not doing a good job at owning messaging and trickling it down. And, and the problem there, I, I think, really comes down to content as a whole, you know, and, and you know, that doesn't mean that marketing's got to, like, be the protector and, and police and own everything and sales can't do anything or CS can't do anything. It's more we have to empower. And, you know, I have this great slide that I show that shows like a, a typical Slack conversation in any organization, right? Because some companies are like, no, 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 we've got a great channel. That people jump into with Teams or Slack or whatever you might use. And you've got this one marketer named Katie, and Katie's there to you know arm people with the content and the stories that they need. But as your company scales and grows, like as great as Katie may be, as much as Katie may want to help, she replies, "No problem, I've got you." You know, the next ask comes in because these days we're all invested in strategies like ABM where it's all one-to-one. So like what what we supplied before doesn't work for the IBM account you're trying to land or the Amazon account you're trying to land. So every minute Katie's trying to adapt, that that just doesn't scale. So my belief is marketing's got to set that tone, but then we've got to arm, 
know, these other parts of the organization to be able to access and personalize and customize that story case by case. You know, that's that's a real challenge for a lot of organizations. It's stuff that, I, you know, I've seen in our own company. It's not like we've got this down, right? Yeah. Like we've learned, we've seen the ways it breaks. But, uh, you know, that's stuff that we're also trying to solve through technology. It's it's part of the, the belief with Uberflip is, is empower that. You know, I know there's some great tools out there to just directly empower sales or directly empower CS. I get concerned, though, with some of those because they're going to go and craft their own unique story if it starts there. So I believe it's got to trickle from marketing. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I think a lot of marketers pride themselves, let's say, on creating this category and then doing the things to kind of like market into the category. But maybe the sales organization or the CS organization isn't like really bought in. So how do you... Like, you know, you just said, like, success is when the sales team is actually, like, following along on the story, right? If you have them, like, changing everything along the way so that in the end, the version they're telling in the market is not what you expected, like, that's a failure, really. But but I think that that's a lot of work that, like, you have to do probably from CMO level down. Like, how are you really bringing along the CS and the sales organizations in your story to make sure that as a company, you kind of have this unified story that is trying to change the world? Absolutely. No, I, it's, it's a great point. I, I think that's where you need that alignment with sales leadership, not just the VP of sales, but the sales directors as well. Take as an example, some of our strategy and, and those of other marketers I speak to, you know, we, at, at more of the company-wide messaging, you may be speaking to the general problem, the disruption, like we talked about earlier. But as you start to, to focus more, say, on a segment or a vertical, now you're going to adjust that that story. Now, what we don't want is at that stage is necessarily for sales to go and say, okay, well, this is how this applies to healthcare, right? You know, and, and if you're a healthcare selling company, that's one thing. But if you're segmenting and going after healthcare, you need to start to put marketing horsepower behind that as well and not just say, okay, well, sales, you should figure that out. Now, in some cases, you need to allow some freedom. Right. But once you start to create enough of these vertical focuses, then you provide that blueprint for, you know, the, the person who's maybe selling to your SMB or commercial you know, group to yeah. go and say, OK, well, I, I've seen what they've done for healthcare. I can figure out what to do to these other niches based on that. So you start to create that. And, and then I would say that until you get to that point where you can support that, you really want to try and stick to a consistent narrative that's, you know, even though we want to truly customize, we just stay consistent because that's going to trickle down to the voice of the customer we spoke to earlier, even on sites like G2. You know, one of the things yeah. that, that kills me is when we have someone do a G2 review and it doesn't use the language that we're trying to set for what we do. And yeah. that's not the customer's fault, but it's our it's our miss in educating and getting them to buy into this bigger vision. Now, when there's when there's changes as well, we should catch on to that and we should figure out if we have to adjust. Yeah. But there's this idea, you know, in, in wrapping that that up of how do we take this high level thought all the way at the beginning ensure that at every stage it, it is consistent or it's something that we're comfortable with how it evolves all the way down to that that ultimate end point, which is a, a customer referral. 
Yeah, I love that because I've seen that like repeatedly, right? I mean, you think that you have a story, you think you talk about the problem in one way, you think you talk about what you're doing in one way, and then everybody goes off and talks about like, oh, I love Uberflip because they do this thing. And you're like, we do that thing? No, we don't do that thing. We do so much more. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of, I think, what happened with Drift. It's like we started conversational marketing to help people create more leads. And it's great. Like, conversational marketing is great at creating leads. But at the end of the day, marketers need to do more than create leads. And so we ended up, like, having to reframe the conversation because we wanted to make sure everybody understood it's not about the leads. It's about the leads that make it to revenue. And that Absolutely. you're, like, much more efficient in terms of what you're doing. So you don't have 5,000 leads and 5,000 conversations happening with your sales org. What you have is, like, the right conversations with the right people. It's interesting. I, so about a year and a half ago, we were interviewing a board member. So, and this was, she was a CMO of a very large organization. I can't say which one. We didn't, we didn't bring her on as the board member. Anymore. But so because of that, she was, she had gotten to the point though, she had done some demos, she understood what we did. And we, we were up for lunch, actually at a serious decisions event. And she said to me, she goes, you know, I got to tell you, like, I'm, I'm so wowed by what you guys can do. But I checked with someone on my team who used you four years ago, and they they see you as like such a narrow solution for the following, right? And it was actually like we used to solve for like resource centers was like our only sweet spot or really yeah. only thing that we did. She's like, but what about all these other use cases? She doesn't even like know you do that. And it was this moment where I was sitting there with my founder. We were both out for lunch with this woman. And we, we realized that we had to evolve what our story was, not just with the current buyer, but but everyone who's out there. And I think that's yeah. a lot that happens with a lot of disruptive tech companies. You know, Drift, you know, you, you talked about the evolution that you've had to go through. The thing we have to remember, you know, especially if you're part of one of these disruptive companies, is what your product does is changing so quickly, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, you're evolving, you're building. So yeah. your your story on day one has evolved if you're a year in or even more so 10 years in. Yeah. You've got to make sure that the person who got to use your platform 10 years ago understands these are the these are the modern day capabilities. This is the modern day story. And and that's this, you know, that comes back to this idea of the responsibility of marketing to work with customers, to even yeah. work with I always say like it's it's not so much the customer lifetime value, it's our contact lifetime value. Right. Like that contact will move on into different organizations. And yeah. Maybe, 100%. And that's super powerful, especially yeah. if you're servicing a lot of hyper growth companies, because there's a lot of movement within the, the teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And I love the fact that, you know, the storytelling really like plays through everything. It plays through how you're telling the new story, how you're like evolving your story. But then also I love this idea that you really need to partner with your CS organization. You need to like be connected to the customers because the customers signed up for one thing and like hopefully you take them on this journey and they just wowed all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the idea. You want someone to be bought in at every single stage and, and you got to think about what's going to resonate with them. I mean, we hear these cliches of right content, right person, right time, but it's so true. I mean, that's, that's our lives, right? We, we, you know, we turn on Netflix. My, my Netflix is probably playing in the other room with my kids right now. You know, I mean, they they get the right content to them at the right time of day. Like it, it's so nailed and that's the experience we have to create in marketing. 
Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's our vision at Drift. Like we've been talking with you about like, how do we actually do this? Because I think that's where, you know, the digital transformations that have been happening during the pandemic, like really point out that so many CMOs think of their website as just like a static place that they sort of like set it and forget it. And like, you really have to be committed, I think, to the storytelling through your site. And also like you're saying, like the right content at the right time. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, so we're like almost out of time. This conversation has been so great. I like to close out my show with one question and hopefully we kind of brief this with you because sometimes people- I know it's coming. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, you're ready. You're ready. (laughs) So um, I like to close out the show with this consistent question. And that question is like, what is the most important marketing lesson that you feel like you've learned in your career? Sure. So as you said, I'm I'm an interesting flavor of marketer, right? You you led that off. Flavor. Flavor. Yes. So my approach is very simple. It's I want to want to buy what I'm selling, plain and simple. And so one of the things that I do all the time with my team is I'm like, send me our marketing. I want to get our marketing. You know, so whether that's, you know, the the latest email drip, I want to get dripped it in the same way that we're going to send it to someone else. If we're sending out a really cool direct mail uh, you know, gimmicky type of situation, send it to me. I want to get it. I want to see what that unboxing experience is. And when I do this, I often will, you know, record that unboxing or I will, you know, take screen caps of exactly how that email came to me or how I saw that ad served to me. And it, and it allows me to not necessarily go back and, you know, critique, but really just decide like, was did it stand out? You know, was it sent in a way inside of my inbox with all my other messages that stood out relative to what came to me in that moment. So I think that's my advice to people is, you know, subscribe to your own marketing, right? And, and if, if it stands out to you, then you've got a good chance it's going to stand out to your buyer. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's even more critical today because I think the world has become so noisy while we work from home and we have our kids in the next room and we have the opportunity to like pop in and out of a Netflix show for 30 minutes and everything else that is happening. I mean, it's really evolved uh, people's expectations, but also, you know, if you have marketing that is not standing out, then, you know, people are just going to skim over it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, participating in CMO Conversations. How can people connect with you? Like, is it, are you active in LinkedIn and do you take like new contacts and followers and engage there? Or is it Twitter? Like, what's your best way for people to continue the conversation with you? Yeah, sure. So if you want to directly connect with me, LinkedIn is best. That's where I'm probably most active posting content and, you know, ideas. Uh, If you want to tune in with me as well, uh, like you, I get to chat with CMOs on a weekly basis. I think we're going to get you on board too, uh, onto the marketer's journey. So lots to share and lots to learn from other, from other marketers. Yeah, that's excellent. I love that you have your own CMO communications and that you're sort of sharing your own point of view in terms of the marketer's journey. So I encourage people to kind of reach out and reach out to you on LinkedIn, but then also subscribe to your podcast and um, to really start to listen to the point of view you have of like, where are we going with this sort of content at the right time to the right place, the right people, because I like personally believe it's, it's a big thing that we need to think about as marketers. Thanks so much, Trisha. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you like this episode, please go to wherever it is that you get your podcast and give us a six-star review. 
We want to understand, you know, what do you think about the podcast series? Um, we're now delivering things in video. So there's a lot of feedback that you can give. Also reach out to me in LinkedIn. I'm happy to hear about CMOs and topics that you would love to hear me talk to visitors about. Um, there's so much complexity to the role of the CMO and really the changes that are happening in marketing today. That's the point of this podcast. And hopefully through your input, we can continue to cover the full realm of what's happening in marketing as we all continue to evolve in this world of marketing, sales, and revenue. Thank you so much and um, look forward to our next episode.